Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got the whole crew with us, Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolf, coming to you on this Tuesday afternoon. And fellas, a lot to get into. You know, you get to this point in the offseason and you sort of wonder what exactly we're going to talk about. But we've got a few different pieces of news and notes to jump into. And let's start with what we learned on Tuesday morning, which is that 11 Georgia players have been invited to this year's NFL Combine. will be later this month in Indianapolis. Run through those names real quick. Running backs, Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards. Receivers, Lad McConkie and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Tied in, Brock Bowers. Offensive lineman, Amarius Mims and Cedric Van Pran. Defensive tackles, Zion Logue. And the defensive backs, Kamari Laster, Javon Bullard, and Tyke Smith. I'll, I'll speak first, fellas, and just say I don't think there's anything shocking about who was and who was not included on this list. Uh, we were talking about this before we got on. I think the only names not included as far as Georgia players who are going pro are Tramel Walthour and then William Moth, the long snapper. So uh, nothing too surprising on that front. Um, I'll throw it to you first, Kip. Anything that stands out to you as far as these guys that are going to Indianapolis and if there's anyone who you think could really show out? Well, I mean, I think it's really good news for Zion Logue. I think there's a little over 300 uh, invites each year, so maybe like 320. And Zion's probably kind of in that mix, you know, as far as just being, I don't want to say fringe, but, you know, uh, trying to make sure he has a chance to to hear his name called in the NFL draft. Maybe he's a little bit on the outside looking in, but probably just inside that top 300. So definitely a huge opportunity for him. And I think overall, no surprises. Uh, like I said, the other 10 guys, um, you know, all should – hear their name called in NFL draft. I think right now 10 would be probably a solid, um, you know, over under as far as Georgia players drafted th- this year, but uh, a lot of opportunities for guys to improve their stock. I think, you know, you look at Javon Bullard, a guy that, you know, is probably trying to get work his way into solidifying himself in the second round. Now we got Lad McConkey and, and Kamari Lasseter knocking on the door of being a first rounder. And I mean, I think a lot of people just want to see more of a Marius Mims, you know, a guy that uh, if you start less than eight games 
and still have the chance to be a first round pick. It's, I mean, it says a lot to his talent. Uh, but I think a lot of evaluators just want to see how he compares to a lot of the other guys that have logged another uh, a lot more snaps. And so he's got a chance to kind of, you know, solidify himself as a first round pick as well. So I, I think that this is a, a really strong group. And I, I think you're going to hear, you know, most of these guys names called in the, you know, the the first two days of the NFL draft. Georgia had 12 guys invited to the combine last year, 14 the year before that. And Kip, you hit on the big one for me as a Marius Mims, um, you know, wasn't a part of like the senior bowl, any of that, but has a chance to be a first rounder. And I think this is a big opportunity for him, something of a proving ground to show that he belongs as, uh, you know, where he's considered right now, which is one of the top offensive tackles in this draft class. Ben, what were your immediate takeaways to this group uh, that's going to Indianapolis, and if there's someone in particular that uh, you're really interested in seeing how they perform. Well, I definitely agree with you all with Amarius Mims. I think he's going to be the person to, I mean, so many people haven't gotten eyes on Amarius Mims. They've seen him play, but they haven't really stood up close with him. And he's definitely one of those people that you're going to see a lot of tweets about, a lot of social media about, because he's just going to blow people away with his sheer size when people get up close with him. I think he has a chance, too, to Kip's point, to really solidify himself as a first-round pick, depending on some of the um, you know, athletic traits that he shows that week, too. I, I think, not to sound like a broken record, I said the same thing about the Senior Bowl, but I think Lad McConkie has a chance, too. And you never know what events or not events, but what things people are going to participate in versus not. But I would assume that Lad McConkie is going to be in the really high percentile in the 40-yard dash, in the short shuttles. I think vertical leap is an area that he's going to surprise a lot of people with. And obviously there's a lot of, um, how should I say this, uh, preconceived notions about Vlad McConkie that are totally inaccurate. And then people see him for the first time up close and personal and they realize, oh, wait, my preconceived notions were completely inaccurate. The combine's a great way for Lad McConkey to shut that up once and for all because I think people are going to be surprised just how athletic he is. I think people have come around to the fact, oh, this is a guy that is an elite route runner. He's you know always open. He's pretty athletic. I think the combine's going to show for him. All right, there's a reason why I'm always open. There's a reason why I make route running look so easy. And I think that some of those athletic tendencies that he has are really going to show up that week. I don't want to derail us too much, but you talking about preconceived notions. Guys, did either of you see the tweet that kind of went viral of Brock Bowers next to, to Gronk? Any any thoughts, any feedback on, on uh, everybody freaking out about how little Brock looked? I think oh. it just was it was the perfect fit of Brock Bowers image to me. It was like, oh, I'm in a T-shirt. I'm in shorts. I look unassuming. But guess what? Not a single one of you wants to cover me right now. Not a single one of you wants to be matched up against me. So I thought it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good indicator of who Brock Bowers is and what you should expect from him. It was the perfect Clark Kit image, you know, where everyone just doesn't assume that's anyone. And I think that's the same way like recruits and players at Georgia, whenever they would, you know, recruits would be on visits and they, and they would walk by and they would be like, that, that's Brock Bowers. You know, that, that's the guy that nobody can defend. And I mean, I think that's, that's just the way he would prefer it. You know, he just goes about and, and uh, you know, does his work. And then, you know, once, once you get on the field, you, you're all of a sudden, you know, hands on your knees and you're like, I, I, I can't keep up with this guy. Why? How is he still going in the third and fourth quarter? Like, like, you know, it's, it's the first rep. So I just think, yeah, that, that's exactly what he feeds off of. And I, I'm sure a lot of NFL teams are probably hoping that there are evaluators actually formulating opinions based on that photo. Cause uh, I mean, if he falls out of the top 10, I mean, 
gosh, someone's going to get, you know, an outstanding pick. Um, and, you know, we're still talking about the combine. I for, uh, forgot to bring up another guy that I think this is a huge opportunity for because he wasn't at the Senior Bowl, and that's Cedric Van Pran. Um, you know, you, you look at Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. He was kind of the talk of the Senior Bowl, and you had the other guys there too, like Graham Barton and Zach Frazier. Um, and so now, like, you, you start to think, see all the projections, and everyone's got those guys as the top three interior offensive linemen. So now, somehow, you know, Cedric Van Pram, just by not being there, it has kind of fallen a little bit. And then now he's, the four, you know, maybe the fourth center on, on a lot of lists. And, you know, now, I guess, a second or maybe even third rounder. Uh, I think this is a huge opportunity for him to remind everyone, hey, guys, um, I started 45 straight games for a you know back-to-back -back national championship team. Um, I'm a pretty good center as well. So I, I think that that's, that's a, you know, for Georgia fans who have, like, seen all the, I guess, mocks or, or paid attention, and they're wondering why are they not talking about Cedric Van Pram more when this combine is a great opportunity for him to remind everyone that he's a pretty good center as well. Saw the DGD podcast in the YouTube comments asking about Tramel Walthour. Not surprised to see him not get an invitation. You know, he's a super senior. I think he's a guy that's going to get a chance, you know, as an undrafted free agent, try to go make a roster. But no, wasn't necessarily surprised to see he was not invited. Well, guys, let's sort of change the uh, focus from the guys who are trying to make it to the NFL to some of the former Georgia players that made some real noise in Super Bowl 58. Uh, I don't know if you guys felt this way. I just wasn't really anticipating a whole lot of Georgia talk in the Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the 49ers, but we got a pretty healthy dose of it. You know, Cole Hardman uh, scores the game-winning touchdown. Willie Herring had a, a big impact with the Chiefs on the defensive line. Chris Conley played out of his mind on special teams, and I'm pretty sure he had a big reception as well. I'm going to start with you, Ben. Uh, what did you make of uh, these former Bulldogs and the fact they played really significant roles in how that Super Bowl played out? Well, and don't forget Jim Nance's uh, re version and retelling of the 2016 Georgia-Tennessee game when he was talking about Juwan Jennings as well. He got some uh, some extra Georgia, uh, how, not incorrect versions of events retold during that game. Um, but, I mean, obviously, for McCall Hardman, the journey, and I think Patrick Mahomes was one of the first things that he brought up in his MVP speech as well. Like for McCole Hardman to be a guy that left sort of not lost his way, but wasn't having the success that he had had previously, the full circle for him to not only just come back to the Chiefs and win a Super Bowl, but be the one making the play to solidify it. I mean, for me, it was a really entertaining football game. I know there's a lot of opinions out there about you know, each the, the teams and the backstories beyond the football field that came along with it. But the game itself, I thought was really, really exciting. I thought there were a lot of twists and turns throughout the game. There were a fair share of great plays, a fair share of boneheaded plays that happened throughout it. So I thought it was really an entertaining Super Bowl. And uh, to your point, the the Chris Conley, we, we all remembered, I think, in unison, like five weeks ago, that Chris Conley was still making an impact in the NFL. And we really felt that in the Super Bowl, too. You know, there was a point where, you know, that was such a low-scoring game where there were people on Twitter being like, does Chris Conley have a shot at MVP? I mean, like, it was just like nothing was happening. And he had that big catch and a couple big plays on special teams. Kip, uh, what did you make of how these guys played? And uh, the fact that, especially with Miko Hardman, has been talked about. I mean, he was a guy that it kind of seemed like his career had been a little derailed. Going to the Jets, had, I think, all of one catch, and then gets traded back to Kansas City for a seventh-round pick. Just what did you make of how that played out? 
Yeah, if, if uh, the Jets didn't uh, receive that offer, I mean, McCall Harbin was going to get cut. Uh, he was at the, this kind of that point in the career where, um, you know, he was not playing uh, for, for the Jets, uh, you know, a team that was just floundering uh, about, but they were not competitive. Obviously, they expected to have Aaron Rodgers in there, but he was on the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, the Chiefs still just trying to, the piece or <laughs> some playmakers around Patrick Mahomes, which is what makes the Super Bowl, I think, the most incredible uh, aspect of it. When you, you just look at the the playmakers on each side and the fact that, you know, he's, uh, he, he, you know, he's throwing to Justin Watson, he's throwing to Marquez Valdez Scantling. I mean, uh, and just the 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 path that Mahomes took to the Super Bowl is what makes it, you know, so impressive. He's making plays regardless of who's out there. But for McCole Hartman, I mean, this was, yeah, uh, a guy that I remember being at his house and, you know, Bowman, Georgia, less than 900 people in that town. Um, him just, uh, just talking about, the, you know, how bright he thought his future was going to be, but he's just, he's a firecracker. And, uh, you know, he, he, he talks about blacking out in that moment. I mean, I believe it because, like, he's just a guy that's a million miles an hour, he was like that when he got to Georgia, um, and I, I think for his journey that, that just to have this, you know, this moment, and I think today's probably the first day he slept. I know that Good Morning America interview uh, looked kind of familiar. Uh, I've seen a, a couple tired, uh, you know, f- uh, former Georgia players do, give that interview, and then uh, on Jimmy Kimmel as well. Um, I, I think him doing, you know, th- these interviews and just talking about how, you know, he didn't he didn't really, uh, you know, know what the next step was going to be getting back to the Chiefs and, and being able to make that play and just the play itself. Uh, the fact he wasn't the first target, you know, Jared McKinnon, if Nick Boza doesn't blow Jared McKinnon up in, in the backfield, he's supposed to run, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, I think he, he's supposed to cross uh, uh, the field. I think he was actually the Jerry in the Tom and Jerry call. Cole probably wouldn't want you to know, you know, the, to admit that, you know, he thinks he was that that first target on that play, but yeah, he was definitely not. He's probably really the third. I think uh, the second was probably for uh, Patrick to tuck that thing and go. And so, uh, just you know, that that journey for him is, is incredible. And I think now uh, uh, he's, I mean, he's going to be a hero in, in Kansas City. That parade, I believe, is uh, Wednesday, uh, Valentine's Day. So. He, He's going to enjoy that and then now have, uh, you know, a memory he'll never forget. So I, I just think uh, all the things that had to happen for that play to come together is why the Super Bowl is so special and and why it was just one of the, you know, more enjoyable ones that uh, we've had in recent memories. And, and we'll be talking about uh, overtime decisions uh, for, for years to come. And so, I mean, the one thing that I kind of took from that is this needs to be the overtime rule for every game. I mean, this is the best version of overtime that we've we've had. Uh, you know, uh, second guessing whether you uh, want the ball first or second. Having a head coach say he wanted the ball third, which I, it's just everyone. It, it's hard to comprehend, but I, I think it's definitely uh, it, it's kind of improved the game. Uh, McCall will always be a part of that, and I, I just think that's definitely you know puts him up in that pantheon of just former Bulldogs making an impact in the NFL. 
with McCall. He may not have been the first target, but uh, he's the one everyone's going to remember. And uh, I want to see if you guys remember this. Uh, didn't he commit with like a bunch of cakes? Isn't that how he announced he was going to Georgia? Wasn't there like a bunch of cakes on the table? Yeah, he had a bunch of cakes. Um, and uh, I think he was uh, it was on Fox 5 and he was supposed to come out. I know that there was no Georgia cake. And uh, I remember that Michigan saw that immediately and uh, uh, just took over Twitter uh, that that morning talking about how you know, breaking down, analyzing the Michigan cake, no Georgia cake. Um, he was McColl, just being McColl was supposed to come out on uh, like the three seconds after he, he waited like 15 seconds before he, he burst through. Um, and this is something that, you know, you guys know and recruiting coverage knows like there was no signal. So they didn't even know if they were live that day because there was no signal heading into the announcement um, because it wasn't actually supposed to be at a school. But McColl wanted to do it in front of his school and his friends. So uh, that's I mean, that's recruiting coverage right there. You get you have to rely on uh, cell service um to to cover a live commitment announcement and i mean half the time you don't get cell service i think that the cameraman was having to like use a flip phone to like dial in and, and get coverage and so they were recording it or they were filming it not even knowing if anyone was watching if mccall harman was actually just announcing to no one on on live television but uh yeah i mean that that, that is that's mccall though that's just i mean it is always going to be a spur of the moment uh He's not going to do what you think he's going to do. Um, I mean, I remember, I, I believe Jeremy Pruitt was uh, visiting with his family at church uh, whenever he had the coaching change, you know, whenever uh, it came down that, that Rick had been let go. I think that, that was, uh, he was in that first class for Kirby. Um, I mean, for us, it was, it was never really a uh, question of where he was going to go, but Again, that's the McCall Harbin experience that you sign up for. So uh, I think uh, still a fan favorite and uh, still a guy that, you know, you, you root for. As anytime you hear him talk, you just know that he still has that, that pure joy in his voice. And uh, I think, uh, you know, that that was a moment that, that uh, he's never, ever going to forget. Definitely a special moment for him, but also Georgia fans. I know they were super excited to see him make that play. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and talk about Georgia's latest addition from the transfer portal and uh, some recruiting news from our guy, Ben Wolf. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Fellas, it seemed like Georgia might be done in the transfer portal, but that changed on Friday when the Bulldogs went and added former Stanford tight end Benjamin Urasek, guy that was a two-time all-conference selection while at Stanford. Very promising tight end, guy that was banged up a little bit last season, but has a very, very nice resume to work with. I'm going to throw it to our resident Benjamin expert first. Ben, uh, what do you think about the addition of the former Stanford tight end and what he can bring to the Bulldogs? Yeah, I think he's the first Benjamin that I would have ever known that would come like after me in some kind of alphabetized situation. I think Benjamin W usually takes the cake, but the Benjamin Y um, respect to, to him for holding it down for for the all the Benjamins in the football program. Um, really impressive pickup. I mean, I think that the question everyone's probably been asking about Georgia's tight end room is, you know, what does it look like post Brock Bowers, you sort of lose two years in a row, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, who are sort of one of one types at the at the tight end position. And so you have guys like Oscar Delp, Lawson Lucky, Pierce Sperlin, incoming guys like Jaden Riddell, Colton Heinrich that are, you know, they have a lot of potential. There's a lot of promise. I mean, obviously, Oscar Delp is sort of the veteran in the room at this point. But I think Georgia wanted to accomplish two things with this. They wanted to accomplish one, get a veteran guy in the room, someone that will sort of, you know, a Stanford graduate, he graduates from Stanford this semester. I think that that's always a, you know, a type of person that you would like to add to your room just from a leadership standpoint. And then how do you backfill some of that pass catching ability that Brock Bowers brought to the offense and changed your ability to line guys up in different spots along your, around your offense. And I think that Benjamin Urasek is probably one of the only tight ends in college football that does things similarly when split out to what Brock Bowers can do. I don't think you're ever going to say this guy is Brock Bowers. I don't think that's a fair thing to put toward anyone, but by now I'm sure a lot of you have seen the clip of him taking an end around 40, you know, 50 yards against USC. He does things that other tight ends don't typically do. So I think it was a really important addition for Georgia, knowing that it, could level up in its tight end group. They had already looked at a Notre Dame transfer, Holden Stace earlier in this cycle that ended up at at, uh, Tennessee. I think Georgia wanted to upgrade at the tight end position if they could, but there's not a ton of options out there that is going to make Georgia feel like they're upgrading because of the nature of what they already have in that room. But being able to add to the numbers, get a guy that will – without a doubt, improve the passing game. And, you know, I saw, I want to give credit to who it was. I'm sorry that I'm not, I'm not able to give credit here, but I saw it was run blocking grades for Georgia transfer tight ends that have come in with Eli Wolf and Trey McKitty. And they've both seen significant upticks from their time pre-Georgia to post-Georgia when it comes to run blocking. I think Benjamin Urasek is around 40 40 to 45 range when it comes to run blocking grade, you know, be interested to see how much that improves for him and whether he sees value in coming to Georgia. You know, I think that we're, we're talking about this in terms of how is their value in him 
for Georgia. Well, I think him coming to Georgia opens up a new opportunity for him to get a little bit of different coaching, maybe be utilized in a slightly different way than he was before, but also improve his draft stock looking to next year as well. Looking at Eurosec, just super athletic. And I wrote about this in, in my VIP story, really studying his game. Man, he just has such long strides. He had a touchdown, I think it was against UCLA, where it was just kind of crazy how much ground he was able to cover. Uh, Kip, what do you make of the Eurosec edition and just what he can bring to the tight end room? For him, it also allows him an opportunity to play meaningful football. I mean, they had three straight seasons of three wins. And and so, uh, you know, for for him, I think that that's a, a huge opportunity to actually play in meaningful games late in the season. Um, no offense to the Cardinal, it's just been a tough go of it as of late. And I, I think, yeah, for Georgia, I mean, it's really a no-brainer. You, you look at the the last time that they had two capable, you know, starting tight ends that were healthy. It was it was Bowers and Darnell Washington, and I, I think that was, you know, really uh, just allowed them to utilize so much more of the playbook. And you know, obviously, I think Oscar Delps the returning starting tight end. I mean, he started 10 games, uh, you know, last season for Georgia. Um, and Eurosec is coming in in May. Um, I, I think that's the thing where for most transfers, that would be, a, you know, kind of a probably a huge roadblock. But for a guy that's played as much football as he is and, uh, you know, there's not going to be anything he hasn't seen. So I think Georgia took him and said, He'll be able to, you know, acclimate pretty quickly over the summer and we'll be able to, to work him into the offense. He'll be a guy that can sub in or be the second player in double tight end sets. I, I don't, you don't just, uh, you know, pencil him in as, as the, you know, tight end one. I, I think he comes in and upgrades tight end two for Georgia. And, and again, because you saw Lawson Lucky's Pierce Burson, they both dealt with injuries. And, and I think that's just something where Kirby Smart's looking at this and saying, I'm going to maximize this roster to where we're able to overcome things like that because we just saw in the SC Championship game the impact of injuries. And, we, were, you know, they were trotting out guys who were nowhere near 100%. And, uh, you know, uh, it had made an impact in that game. And I just think you look at this offseason, Georgia had only brought in the, the – I think the most they brought in were three transfers the one year, and one of them was Smoke Bowie, who ended up, you know, obviously not uh, being a part of the program during the season. So seven transfers this offseason. Uh, I, I think it just tells you that Kirby's he, he doesn't like the depth and he wanted to improve, uh, especially on offense. You know, he wanted playmakers so that he had guys he could roll out there throughout the season knowing that uh, you know, there's not going to take a step back because this isn't the 2023 schedule. <laughs> this 2024 schedule is no joke, and they have to go through this thinking these are each playoff games. You know, I know it's a 12-team playoff now, but they still have to go through these games saying we can't trip up multiple times. And, and uh, so I think that's the approach they had. That's why they bring a guy in like this who can do – a lot of the same things, like you guys said, that Brock Bowers can do uh, yards after the catch, outstanding. And uh, a guy that you look at that 2021 season, if you get that version of him, I mean, he was on pace for uh, 900 receiving yards if he plays in a, you know, 15 games like you would expect to play at Georgia. So, uh, you know, he does bring that kind of skill set to where he can be highly productive 
and a big time part of this offense moving forward. So, I mean, it, it really was a no brainer when all is said and done to be able to add a guy like that to an offense that now looks uh, as deep as it's ever looked. Yeah, it's kind of wild, you know, you pointing out him being at Stanford, watching some of those highlights, and they were from the last few years. You would see the score bugs, and it would be like 38 nothing. whoever Stanford was playing at all. You know, he's able to make a big play, so it is going to be an adjustment. A classic City Dog said best tight end room in the country. They've got an argument for it just because of how deep it is, and I wrote about this when I wrote about Eurosec. You know, two years ago, you looked at what Georgia had it tied in with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Eric Gilbert, uh, Brett Scyther, and, and Rylan Gody, and you were just like, man, this is just incredible how deep they are. And then three of those guys transfer out, and Darnell Washington leaves, and you kind of get to a point when Brock Bowers is banged up. You're like, we really may have to rely on some of these freshmen. Um, I think they did a very good job, not only with getting Eurosec, adding him with Delp, uh, Pierce Sperlin and Lawson Lucky, but then also bringing in Jaden Riddell and also bringing in Colton Heinrich. I think that's a very good job of uh, reloading a position that we know is super, super important. And I mentioned this too, and I'm curious to see what you guys think. You know, I think some people saw this addition as like, oh, I don't know about Oscar Delp. You know, they went and get a, got a veteran. To me, this just opens up more where we'll see more two tight end sets, you know, see both those guys getting involved. And for me, if I was a Georgia player that I, if there's a Georgia player that I think should be concerned, it's the wide receivers because it's kind of back to the situation they had two years ago where it's like, we've got to prove that we deserve to have three receivers out there. You know what I mean? They, they are got a whole lot of talent at tight end. These receivers need to be able to prove that they're worth giving reps to in these games. Yeah, I mean, earning reps, uh, that's exactly what Kirby wants, though, uh, that competition. If you want if you want three wide receiver sets, then, you know, prove to me that, uh, that that's the best look that I can have out there, especially on the perimeter blocking. I mean, uh, you know, prove to me that you guys can go out there and, uh, and, and you know, perimeter block as well as the guys that I have in this position group, you know, and I think – that, that's how you earn snaps in that wide receiver rotation and get the opportunity to, you know, catch touchdown passes from Carson Beck is, is, you know, first down, second down, you know, maybe you're blocking on one of those two reps. You take that playoff. He's, he's yanking your, your tail, you know, back to the sideline and putting somebody else in regardless of how talented you are, how explosive you are. And we've kind of seen that happen, you know, the last couple of years at Georgia, you've had some explosive guys out there who, you know, lost snaps uh, because if they weren't getting the ball, uh, then, you know, they weren't given the kind of effort that Kirby Smart wants. You know, it's it's kind of like in basketball. You know, you know what what's what? how are you off ball? And if, if you can't play off the ball, then, you know, you're, you're not going to play. It's not a winning formula. So I, I think, yeah, you might want to see the four and five wide, the empty set. Um, but I think the best playbook uh, that Georgia has is, is the complete playbook, the, the ability to give as many looks as possible. And I think this roster allows you to do that. Yeah, I mean, I was basically going to say the same thing. Like, what this proves to me is it doesn't matter what position group it is or how strong Georgia feels like it may or may not be. If they feel there's an opportunity to improve the position and add talent to it, they're going to do that. That generates the competition that Kip was alluding to with the wide receiver rooms within the within the tight end group. Like it accomplishes everything that Georgia wants. And I think when you're bringing someone into the program too, your Georgia's probably pretty calculated in terms of the type of 
person that they're bringing into the room as well, just because you know it is going to create a slightly different dynamic within that position group. And I think, again, it, it sounds cliche, but bringing in a Stanford grad into your room, I think can only probably be viewed as a positive. Ben, you were pretty busy last week uh, making the rounds as we turned our attention to the 2025 recruiting class and beyond. Uh, what were your big takeaways from what you got to see? Any names that sort of stick with you after the fact? Well, the first thing I wanted to do during the dead period was get down to South Georgia just because, one, we, we don't have as much of an opportunity to get down there all the time. But two, I think that some of the priority targets for Georgia in this 2025 class are down there. And I think that includes uncommitted guys, and that also includes someone that they have committed in the class as well. So the three players that I really wanted to highlight from that trip, and there was more from that visit to the beyond these three, but the number one player in the state, Elijah Griffin, defensive lineman from Savannah Christian, I think, and I would be curious to get your viewpoint on it as well, is the most important recruit in this class for Georgia. I mean, he's along the defensive line. He's someone Georgia has been recruiting since he was in eighth grade. There's a lot of top programs that are coming after him. And I think that the relationships with Trey Scott and Glenn Schumann run really, really deep. And it's really important for Georgia to hold on to him. So I wanted to get down and see him. I think that Georgia is definitely in the mix here, if not leading for Elijah Griffin at this point in time. I think South Carolina and Clemson. I think Clemson is just a team to watch for a lot of recruitments right now. And I know that that's a team that maybe some people feel have slipped over recent years in recruiting. I would say that is not the case when we're looking at the 2025 class. I think there's a lot of premium prospects that Clemson is very, very much in contention for and has a chance to create some headaches for Georgia with. I think that Elijah Griffin is definitely one of those prospects. So I think that getting Elijah Griffin is critically important for Georgia. And so as a result, it was important for me to get down there as soon as I could too. Someone that's committed to Georgia is tight end Elias Williams. He's from Camden County. He's been committed to Georgia since last spring and he remains committed to Georgia. I think that if I were to, you know, if there were betting lines on it, I think it would favor him sticking with Georgia in the long run. But I think that we all know how this spring and summer is going to be with official visits and trips elsewhere. And, you know, the NIL component of all of this, that it is becoming more and more prevalent in every recruitment. And for a lot of these 2025 guys that have already committed, some of those conversations haven't happened yet. And some of those more complicated parts of the equation are going to be factored in. And so, you know, he's getting recruited heavily by Florida State. That's a school that he talked about a lot when we were down there discussing his recruitment. And Miami, which is a place that he hasn't actually visited yet, but someone that he's been in regular communication with. And I think that everybody, based on how other recruitments, I mean, just look at last cycle, Nikar flipping from Georgia to Miami relatively out of the blue. I think that everyone is conscious and aware of the threat that Miami poses in the recruiting world as well. So I think holding on to Elias Williams, who is a, when we've been talking about the tight end position a lot during this podcast, talk about a freak of nature at the tight end position. And I mean, he's someone that physically like frame wise is not Darnell Washington esque in terms of probably just total mass, but in terms of frame and height and length, I mean, he's really comparable to what Darnell Washington does. And then athletically, I mean, he's, 
the best basketball player in their region. His basketball team is the number one team in their region. They're someone that they're a team that can make a really deep tournament run. So he is a legit, legit college basketball player as well. His high school basketball coach thinks he's someone that probably could get legit power five offers. If all of these basketball programs didn't know that he was the number one tight end in the country and was definitely going to be playing football. So someone that's really impressive. And then the last one that I'll bring up is he's listed as a three star at 24 seven sports right now. I'm interested to see how that develops and where things go from there. But wide receiver from Calvary Day, Thomas Blackshear. So he's someone that was on a visit to Georgia at the beginning of the month. He was scheduled to be there at the end of the month as well, but he wasn't able to make it. So he only took one visit to Georgia during the contact window, but that was the only visit that he took. He created a sort of a public top three right after that visit of Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida State. But when we were having our conversations, this communication is just much Uh, more constant with Georgia and Tennessee right now. So I would say that those are the two schools that he's really looking at, the two schools that I think he'll take visits to for spring practices and the two schools that I think he would schedule official visits for in June. You know, I think he's someone who could be closer than most to wanting to make a decision. And I think you see that in the fact that he's narrowed it down really to two choices. He's getting pretty close to decision-making time. So he's someone that Brian McClendon has spent a lot of time into. He went down to see a couple of times. Kirby Smart took a helicopter tour down to Calvary Day to see Thomas Blackshear and a couple of other of the 2025 prospects that they have. So, you know, those three guys are, are three that I think Georgia would really like to add. And I think Georgia's had a lot of success with recruiting that area of the state so i think holding on to elias williams will go really 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 long way but landing those two guys blackshear and griffin out of savannah i think would be put georgia well on its way to a top class kip i want to pose that question to you with elijah griffin do you feel like he is the most important guy when you look at this 2024 cycle when is georgia at its best the last couple of years i mean when you start looking back at the last couple of teams and obviously you gravitate toward the, you know, those two national championship teams. I mean, what did they have that other teams didn't have? They had elite depth on the, on the line of scrimmage. And I mean, they were, they had, you know, Jalen Carter coming off the, you know, bench, a guy that again, top 10 pick in the draft coming in, you know, he had Trayvon Walker, he had, uh, and obviously um, Jordan Davis, but, Stacking that talent on the defensive line, getting bringing guys in who, I mean, might not be that type of player, but has the traits to become those type of players. And you look back, I mean, uh, you know, Walker and Carter, they they didn't have like a huge impact their first year at Georgia, but developed into you know elite talents. They were able to to rotate in and out there. That's exactly why you want to get guys like Elijah Griffin. I mean, you, you want to you know pair him with a guy they already have justice terry on, on the board as well um you, you want to stack the defense line as best you can so i think obviously those are the guys that you, you want to get on board um christian garrett obviously as well you you get a group like that and if you can keep three guys like that in the fold then that's exactly the blueprint that georgia followed you know to get to get to the mountaintop so uh, you definitely want to do that you add in guys like, I mean, Zayden Walker obviously would be a huge guy as, as far as a guy that can do it all at the linebacker position. But Elias Williams is just a freak. And I know that, uh, you know, some a lot of the, you know, Georgia recru- fans of recruiting will, will know that, you know, Landon Thomas uh, last year happened, the, the flip to the Seminoles. But 
I, I think this is a different situation just because uh, Landon Thomas was originally committed to Florida State. He had a relationship, a built-in relationship with the tight ends coach, Mike Norvell. Uh, you know, they had, they had dug in real early on there. And so I think this one is going to be uh, a completely different situation. I think Miami's still more of a team to watch right now, even though he hasn't visited. Um, this is just where recruiting is right now. You don't have to visit because, uh, you know, they're able, there are a lot of uh, avenues they're able to, to recruit with, especially with NIL. Uh, you, you know, you can open someone's eyes without getting on campus. I mean, even Georgia, uh, you know, last cycle, uh, you're able to, to get guys on campus one time uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you're landing a couple five stars out of uh, Conroe, Texas, you know, uh, guys that we, we had barely begun talking about and all of a sudden they're getting crystal ball to Georgia. Uh, that, that is how the elite programs uh, recruit. So the thing that I'm taking from all this though, is I go back to the fact that you got a special, special group in state, especially on the line of scrimmage. But, man, that wide receiver group, uh, you bring up Thomas Blackshear. I mean, uh, this is the time of the year where fans are like, which guys do I need to focus on? Who are the names that I need to follow? Because uh, Who is Georgia, you know, making a focus on? And I think Thomas Blackshear is in that group with C.J. Wiley, with Travis Smith, who we brought up multiple times. Um, C.J. Wiley out of Milton, Tra Travis Smith out of Westlake, and then also Sam Turner out of the Southwest Cab. I think you, you look at that group, and, I mean, Georgia would sign up for that group right now. And to think that you could have four guys at the wide receiver position in the state of Georgia that are looking heavily at Georgia. Georgia is a strong contender for all of them. Um just the potential for them to not have to go out of state. I mean, they can get a guy like Taylor Taylor out of Illinois who just keeps showing up to Athens seemingly every other week. Um, but if, if they land an in-state group like that, then that's a strong wide receiver group than you could hope for. I think that's just really good news in February to be talking like that because obviously other guys are going to emerge. Uh, but that's a strong, strong in-state group of pass catchers, as strong as we've seen in the last couple of cycles. Ben did a really good job of outlining in the past uh, week or so some of the names to know, and I would encourage you guys to go to Dogs 24-7, read those stories because they are very insightful. And be sure to go to Dogs 24-7 period as we're going forward as this 2025 class really rounds into shape. Um, Georgia Men's Basketball Minute, and boy, uh, let's try to get through these 60 seconds as quickly as we can. Things have not been going well for Georgia. Five straight losses are now 14-10 and 10 overall. Um, one loss away from tying the longest losing streak of the Mike White era. Since the last time we recorded, they suffered two losses on the road at Mississippi State, 75-62. Just a game it didn't feel like Georgia uh, was really in the mix for as that game wound down. Um, you know, it was a situation with like six minutes left. I think Georgia got within three and then just couldn't keep scoring. Mississippi State put it away. Uh, at Arkansas, 78-75. Georgia picked the absolute worst game to have its worst game from three-point range. Uh, just could not hit shots, really struggled. Um, had opportunities late, got uh, two looks uh, from three-point range in the final minute and change and missed both of them. A uh, very uh, disappointing turn of events there. Uh, do get a break this week in the fact that they do not have a midweek game, but turn around and on Saturday you're hosting a Florida team that one, there's a lot of emotion in that game because of Mike White coming over from Gainesville. 
but two, this is a Gators team that absolutely dominated Auburn over the weekend. So not uh, not a very good-looking situation. I think NCAA tournament talk is completely over for Georgia, and now they're really at a point where they're just fighting to remain relevant in the NIT conversation. Yeah, tough, uh, tough go of things for the basketball program. But also, I mean, I think Georgia's only lost one game all season that it was favored in. I think it was to South Carolina at home, too. So it's not like Georgia's really losing games that it's supposed to be winning. Georgia's just not at the caliber of program that it needs to be at yet. And I think that requires time. And I we read a lot during these games on our boards about coaching and how thing, you know, how things are unfolding with the game. And I think really it goes back to everything we always talk about with the football program, talent, act. I'm, I'm having some tongue twisters here today. So we're just going to say get as much talent as you can possibly get on the team. And I think that George basketball program is still in that building phase. Yeah. I think if people will just take it easy and remember that you got a five-star Asa Newell coming next year, that is going to be important. But at the same time, I mean, year three, I think is going to be the measuring stick for Mike White and company especially because you started this season, particularly conference play, really, really strong and just haven't been able to keep it up. This is, I mean, you're you're now seeing kind of that regression to the mean, and this is kind of just where Georgia basketball's talent and experience are. Early in the season, late in these games, you kind of saw them, it kind of fall, you know, to the wayside because they didn't have, they don't have guys who are used to winning sec basketball games and so i think right now this offseason is going to be real critical just assuming that they don't go on you know a magical run uh it's not just about talent acquisition though i mean it, it is about talent retention and that is kind of that's what sunk tom crean after you know he had that magical recruiting class bringing in anthony edwards and you know not getting anything out of it and then it was that that mass departure. So he's got, you know, obviously a five-star on board right now, but you got to keep these guys in the fold that have shown promise to you so far. And that way you have an experienced roster heading into what looks like it'll be a kind of a pivotal year with, with some big time expectations for this program. I appreciate you picking me up there, Kip, with the uh, the talent acquisition. And spe- speaking of talent acquisition, I don't know where Jordan was going with the close of this uh, podcast, but I, I must call out for all of our listeners, our dear our dear friend Jordan. This is our his last podcast as an unmarried man. He's getting married on Saturday, so everybody, hopefully you don't you don't have a glass of champagne in your hand as you're driving listening to this. But the next time you get a glass of champagne in your hand. <laughs> Make a toast to Jordan uh, getting married on Saturday, and we're very happy for him. I appreciate that, Ben. Uh, yeah, you know, if I sound any different next week, you know, or when I come back, I guess it might be a couple of weeks, people will know why now. And I was going to close this out by bringing it up and saying, what wedding advice do each of you have? Now, listen, I want to, you know, specify, not saying marriage advice, I'm saying <laughs> wedding advice. And I'm going to start with Ben because you've, you've actually officiating a, a wedding or two, right? Yeah, which my number one advice, which I think you've already not taken this, is don't let one of your friends officiate your wedding. So you know, I, I I did do that. Yeah, so. you already made that mistake. So because you've already made that mistake, I would say, and this is from truly from the heart, I would say just 
go with the flow on wedding day. It sometimes can be chaos. On my wedding day, we got married down in St. Simons and it was a disaster of a day. There were tornadoes in the area. It was raining. We had to move the venue from outside to inside. It was a nightmare. And I am happy that we just, you know, went with the flow. Everything was, we look back on it as one of obviously our favorite days of our lives. So um, the fact that things are not going to go according to plan, but it's still going to be the best experience of your life. That would be my number one piece of advice. Kip, what you got? Uh, you have to approach this like, it, you know, it, it's a big test because it is. So get plenty of sleep. So, I mean, don't go full, uh, you know, Jason Kelsey the night before. Uh, I don't need to see you out there, you know, in costume at, at 3 a.m. Um, uh, don't forget to eat breakfast. You know, don't forget to shave. Um, give yourself plenty of runway to get ready. Um, make sure you know where the rings are or you have a succession of a line of people who are in charge of doing that in case a couple people fall through and uh, take your time. Um, and you know what? Underrated advice, but uh, wear the most comfortable and clean pair of underwear possible. <laughs> I have, uh, I'm gonna get off this podcast and write all that stuff down because that is definitely good advice. My biggest thing that I've been telling myself gonna hydrate, gonna make sure that I am feeling good because I know it will be a very long day. Well, we will close that out right there. I appreciate Kip and Ben, not only for their great wedding advice, but also for popping on for this podcast. Thanks to everyone who watched this live, everyone who is listening to it after the fact. If you haven't already, be sure to go to dogs247.com, subscribe. You'll get all the stay woke recruiting information, all of our stories on Georgia men's basketball and football, which we're probably about a month away from the start of spring practice. Be sure to also go to YouTube. Go to Dogs 24 7, subscribe there. We'll get the Mike White interviews, the player interviews from men's basketball, and again, in about a month, Kirby Smart press conferences and Georgia football player interviews. So, for Kip Adams and Ben Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everyone.